Shabbat Shalom. Let's turn to um, Galucha, Galatians, and finishing up was a quick journey. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 of the book of Galatians. Israelite brothers, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual ones, restore him in a ruach of gentleness while guarding yourself, lest you also be tempted. And this is the heart of the Mishpochah. This is the heart of the faith family, is to go out and seek for that one lost sheep and bring them back into the fold, that one lost sheep. Because that's what it really means to be Yahuwah's people, is to serve, is to serve. It means that no single person can make it alone. You can't isolate yourself. That's what it says in the scripture. A man who isolates himself seeks his own. It's so much easier if you isolate yourself. But the community of faith, iron sharpens iron. And we work and walk together. Because ultimately, the faith community, whether it's here in the body in Salem or out the community that we have on the internet, it's that we need one another to have that fellowship, to pull together. We need to be in community. You see it throughout the scriptures. Ultimately, we're going to end up together with that hope, that glory of dwelling together. This is my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who is alone when he falls, for he has not another to help him up. And I have fallen many times in my life when I was alone. And to be able to walk together is so important. And my wife will testify. I mean, she is so blessed and happy that I have this responsibility because she knows that I have a lot of accountability and that because of this, I am always working in the Word consistently. And the kind of personality and the person in my natural man that I would be if left unguarded I believe that the Father has given me this responsibility to keep me on that narrow path because I'm constantly, diligently seeking and searching, whereas I'm the kind of personality which would so easily could be that wayward sheep, you know, because that's the kind of way that I was raised, and I've been delivered from that. Look what it says in the second verse. Bear one another's burdens and so complete in practice the Torah of Mashiach or the law of Christ, as we've heard so many times. But what is the law of Christ? Because that's so easily taken out of context. You know, we can talk about Torah. We can talk about the Shabbat, the Feast of Yahuwah, the dietary requirements. And then the rebuttal is, well, I, I'm in the law of Christ. That's so, so much higher a calling. But what is the law of Christ? Because I agree, we are in the law of Christ, the Torah of Mashiach. But it isn't something contrary or different to Torah. 
because Shaul has already spent, as we know now in the sixth chapter, he's already spent five of the previous chapters explaining to the community how their very status in Torah is actually connected to those covenants of promise that were given to Abraham, which is distinct from the book of the law that those from Jerusalem were still on that cusp point, believing that they needed to proselytize those in the nation and make them adhere to the full book of the law. No, the true Torah that Mashiach has ratified is bringing Israel into that community where you won't walk alone, you won't be that lost sheep, but you're gathered into the community of faith. So it truly is the gospel message because it's our relationship to Torah that's changed. Yes, but that isn't an abrogation of Torah. It's how we as believers, how do we relate to the Torah? Because it's a relationship that's inclusive. Inclusive of the book of the covenant, Torah. It's not a relationship separate from Torah or one entrenched in the book of the law that we have find so many entrenched in even today. Look at verse 3. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And I can only, when I wrestle in the scriptures, I can only use my life as an example because I don't, you know, we all have our own walk. And I know for myself in the position that I have, am in now, I have met many, many teachers. And this was always something that troubled me is, you know, we know the scripture. What is the one sin that Yahweh hates more than any other sin? Pride. Yet, in the, in the institutionalized church, you know, if a man was in a, um, um, committing adultery, oh, boom, he's called out and condemned, rightly so. If a man's stealing in the congregation and court, he's condemned, and, and rightly so. But how many pastors walk around with such a spirit of pride and nobody says anything? Yes, amen. Nobody says anything. And I think of the position that I'm now in and I know where I came from and I believe that because of the dreadful life that I live, I've been allowed through His grace to be able to do what I do because I can never, ever forget where I came from. And that keeps me where I need to be because the moment anything like that would stir, oh, the Ruach HaKodesh is so quick to remind, oh, where you came from. And then really, there's no room for that. But if you don't remember from where you whence came, then the sin that Yahweh hates above all can cause a cancer and rot out the very core of ministry and believers. So yes, we don't resurrect the dead man, but we never forget our humble origins. We never forget that he was the one who nursed us and washed us when we were on the side of the road and what we were doing when he found us what we were doing when he found us. Very humbling, isn't it? You keep the right perspective of yourself. 
and you remember from where you came from. Verse 4, but let every man examine his own mitzvot, and then shall he have gilah rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden, and what a burden it is. What a burden. If somebody had just told me when I was 13 years old, what you're about to embark on is going to have ram eternal ramifications and ramifications for years and years to come, that what you're about to embark on will have a huge consequence in your life. Because that's my burden still to this very, very day. Oh, education is the key, isn't it? Education in the scriptures to educate the next generation. This is why the Father says not to do this. Because the consequence is, and it will be with you forever. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? But it's most probably one of the most overlooked verses, verse 4 and 5, in the whole scripture. Moshiach said what? Take the plank out of your very own eye. Examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. Prove your own selves. How do you know you're in the faith? How do you know you're not a charlatan? Examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith. That's what the scripture says. So what a burden it is when we look and we examine ourselves and we see our own struggles. I mean, I'm constantly, I'm constantly aware of them and I'm battling them. And I will not accept those battles as having dominion over my spiritual man. Because I'm engaged in the battle and I'm going to be victorious. Let him, verse 6, that is taught in the word, share with him that teaches in all tov things. Meaning, if you're, being, if you're being taught today, and you're being taught by this ministry, then consider sharing your resources and sharing this message with others too. Because I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We can do it together. And that's the key. But share all of your resources there's no room for a compartmentalized life. And men tend to do that. We tend to compartmentalize our life. Whereas women, are, I think I once heard that men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. <laughs> Meaning men, we've got this little box here that was, you know, this little box is for this thing and this little box is for this thing. Women, it's all, you know, integrated. And we tend to do, well, this is my work box. This is my, no, we cannot live a compartmentalized life. We have to give of all of ourselves, all of ourselves. That means our time, our money, our resources, our family, our whole life to Yahweh, the ministry, the message that we're being taught and fed. We give all of ourselves. We can't compartmentalize. That is the world and that is the natural fleshly carnal man that I fight against. Share everything. Give all of yourselves and then make the move. Make the move in your life. Look what it says in verse 7. Be not ye deceived. Elohim is not mocked for whatever a man sows that shall he also reap. 
For he that sows to his flesh shall also the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows into the Ruach HaKodesh shall from the Ruach HaKodesh reap everlasting Chaim, life. And of course, this is infamously, really, I think it would be better put famously, the verses of the agriculture of the Spirit. That's really what it is. It's the agriculture of the Spirit. And we should really take note to cultivate it, should we not? Very important. I mean, that right there is a proverb that we can put on our wall. Do not be deceived, for Yahweh is not mocked. But whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows in the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows into the Ruach HaKodesh shall from the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, reap everlasting Chaim, life. And here, here are a few of my favorite poetic scriptures just, just to soothe your soul. Just listen to these. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity. Will reap vanity. And the rod of his fury will perish. Iob, Job chapter 4, verse 8. According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble shall harvest it also. Hoshea 8 verse 7. For they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It yields no grain. Should it yield, strangers would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. They are now among the nations like a vessel in which no one delights. They're in the exile. And nobody is taking and making any attention to them, except now Shaul has gone out to the exile to gather in the flock because of the time of Reformation when Moshiach had come has arrived. And finally, Hoshea chapter 10, verse 12. So with a view to Zadachah, righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, break up your fallow ground. And there is nothing in the world that can break up the fallow ground like the word of Yahuwah. There is nothing more powerful to break up the fallow ground. And if you're not in the word, then you can plow all you want, but you'll just be plowing to destruction. It's only the word that can break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek Yahuwah until he comes to rain zadakah, righteousness, on you. Because the flesh, this carnal flesh of mine will deceive me. It deceives me into, oh, it's going to be such a temporal pleasure and I was so naive, I believed it. But it never tells you the consequences that are around the corner. They never tells you the consequences around the corner. And I spent the first quarter century of my life just, you know, plowing to the flesh, the temporal senses, with thinking of no consequences, didn't care whatsoever, did not care, just immediate. And now when I look back on those things, I literally, it terrifies me. And I think of so many times that, oh, I shouldn't even be alive. Amen. Shouldn't have even been. That is his grace. That is his kindness, his withholding of judgment justly deserved. 
So, my goodness. Now we look at verse 9. And let us not be wary in doing well. For in due season we shall reap if we do not grow wary. Because carnality, it gives an instant reward, does it not? Oh, it titillates, doesn't it? That carnality titillates. It delivers. Oh, yeah, sure it delivers. Instant gratification. But it always hides those consequences. In contrast to the Ruach, the spirit, man, that's the long game, isn't it? Because you do not get that instant gratification with the Ruach HaKodesh. You have to delay the instant gratification. You're like, I'm a born-again believer. And the world is telling you, oh, well, you should be prosperous. You know, it's the, it's the gospel message of, you know, what is that? What is that that they're always talking about? You know, diamonds and twinkly gold coming down from the sea. And that's not reality. Delayed gratification which the world has no concept. The millennials have no concept of that. Because the spirit, the Ruach, is in for the long game. Eternal rewards, oftentimes costing a sacrifice in this temporal arena. Because we're looking at the long game. Looking at the long game. Verse 10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good, tove to all men, especially to those who are of the household of believing Israel. So when you can, reward others. Reward those of the household of faith. And verse 11, do you see how large letters I have written to you with my own handwriting? And I have, this is something that I've been struggling with, and I am, I am resisting wearing glasses. I have them, and people are like, you really should put... I'm like, I, I did wear them for a little bit, but then I thought that my eyes were getting used to it. And then when, without them, I thought, forget this, they're weakening my eyes. I'm, so I'm pressing on, but my goodness, it may not be long before I have to succumb. Yeah, I mean, but my goodness. But thankfully, the reason that I may have to wear glasses is not the reason why Shaul should have had some magnifying glasses. So let's revisit just for a moment. I know I spoke about it a few weeks ago. Let's revisit Yahusha's crucifixion because, of course, that sheds a whole much more light on why Rab Sholiak Shaul had to write to them in such large letters. Because... Again, it's so important for us to learn the truth and not the tradition. Yeah. Especially this time of year when people are talking about all of this tradition and mumbo-jumbo that is void of scriptural truth. So when we look at what Shaul is saying here in verse 11, it does connect back to, of course, Yahusha's crucifixion. Like I mentioned earlier, Pilate himself had implement, implemented a reversal technique. A reversal technique. Hanging on the tree and then stoning. Why did Yahushua die so quickly? Because he was hung on the tree and then he was stoned. And this is something that people haven't been able to see through the scriptures. But if we spend our time in the Torah, the prophets, and move forward, then we see that thread, that royal thread throughout the scripture that really does bring in the full meaning. Because if Yahushua was hung on a tree and then stoned to death, he would in fact, Pilate, 
of being placating both parties, Roman and Jewish. And that's the key, because that's what he was trying to do, wasn't he? He was trying to simmer the tensions, and he was trying to placate both the Romans and the Jews. And by hanging Yahushua on the tree and then stoning, he would have been able to do that indeed. Because this technique actually is recorded in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in the Temple Scroll. Just read it this morning in column 64. And it's also found in the old Sirach manuscripts on page um, 107. And finally, in the Slavic version of the Ascension of Isaiah. So, wouldn't a blasphemer be stoned? If you look at the Torah. A blasphemer, and that was the accusation of Yahusha, a blasphemer would, of course, have been stoned and then hung. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, did Yahusha receive this type of punishment? I believe so. I believe the Scripture teaches that. Because they even conducted a makeshift false trial against Moshiach in, of course, the pseudo-Sanhedrin with, of course, those false witnesses. But if Yahushua was stoned to death, which of course was the law of blasphemy in Vaikra Leviticus chapter 24 verse 15, you can find the law of blasphemy, then we should see this thread throughout the scripture. Because we see right here in Shaul's letter to the Galatians that he tells us that in fact, through the language, through the text, I believe that he was stoned just like his master but he survived to tell the tale. Masesh Lachim, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. And there came certain unbelieving Yahudim, Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people to turn against the Shlechim, the apostles. And having stoned Shaul, they threw him out of the city, thinking he was dead. So we know he was stoned. He was stoned, he was left for dead, but he lev lived, excuse me, to tell of the account another day. And then we see right now in Galatians 6, verse 17, For now on, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body, there's the key, the marks of the master Yahusha. He wasn't crucified. He was stoned. So he bears in his bodies the very same marks that Yahushua bore. Correct? Do we see this? And we know from Acts 14 verse 19 that those marks were the marks of stoning. Now we look at 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24. From the unbelieving Yahudim, five times I received 39 stripes. Three times was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and this is not good, and a night and day I have been even in the deep. So what marks did he have? He wasn't hung on a tree, so the marks that Shaul spoke about, of course, are the stoning that he received. Now we go to the Torah, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22. And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, blasphemy was the accusation that Yahushua got, then he shall be put to death and you shall hang him on a tree. Meaning you're going to stone him and then hang him on a tree. And that's why Yahushua died so quickly. Because he was already in a perilous, perilous position. And then he was crucified. 
Galatians chapter 4, verse 15. For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Because the people love Shaul so much that they would have given out their own eyes to him. Because Rab Sholiak Shaul, as anybody who was buried up to the neck and stoned, would have had extensive facial and eye damage. And we know that Yahushua was marred beyond human recognition. Marred beyond human recognition. And the stoning of the face would certainly do that. And we can see that this is what happened to Shaul. Galatians 6.11, you see how large a letter I have written to you with my own handwriting. Those who desire to make a nice show of your flesh, they compel you to be brit milah, circumcised, in order to avoid suffering persecution for the crucifixion of Messiah. So was Messiah crucified? Of course he was crucified, but he was chastised, stoned, and crucified. The penalty for blasphemy, of course, stoning and hanging on a tree. Verse 13, for those who are brit milah of the circumcision, they actually don't keep the Torah, but they desire to have you become brit milah, circumcised, that they may boast over your flesh. You see, the Torah teaches what? Covenant fidelity comes before circumcision. Abraham was in covenant with Yahweh way before circumcision came. Covenant fidelity precedes circumcision. Covenant fidelity is what gives you the inclusion into the covenant, and it's always by faith, not by the mitzvot. But the infiltrators that had come down to Galatia, they didn't keep the Torah. They weren't keeping the Torah because their focus was on the mitzvot, the commandment keeping alone, not the narrative found in the Torah of covenant fidelity because that is what brings community inclusion. You're faithful to the covenant, that brings you community inclusion. Think about it in your marriage. You doing all, all of the honeydew lists and being a whoremonger isn't going to put you in a good status with your wife. But you, being faithful to your wife, oh, she's going to include you in her community, isn't she? By your being just a faithful, loyal husband. I have many floorings, many failings in my life. And, um, and as a husband too. But you know what? I, I sit next to my wife on the couch, and you know she might be upset with me or something, but I always look, I say, but honey, I am faithful. I am committed. I am your loyal husband. And she's like, but it's true. I've got a lot of flaws. But I tell you what, I am going to be faithful, loyal, and committed because I want to be in that community of inclusion in a good, healthy marriage, as we all do, right? That's what it's all about. I've got a lot of other problems, I admit. <laughs> but again, fidelity. That's what it's all about. But when Israel sinned at the golden calf... Wow, there are other failings. That was the failing that broke the covenant. Because then you've broken trust. And how can you ever regain it? How can you ever regain it? 
So we know that these infiltrators, they didn't even keep the blooming Torah because they were just focused on works, 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 works. They didn't understand fidelity, fidelity, fidelity is what brings covenant community inclusion. So they strain out a gnat. Oh, yeah, you're no longer aliens. Oh, yeah, come on into the faith. They strain out a gnat, and then guess what? They swallow a camel. Right, now you've got to do 613 commandments. How many of you heard that in the Messianic movement? There is no such thing as 613 commandments. It's a rabbinic lie. It doesn't exist in the Bible. 600, but, but people believe this stuff. And they put upon this heavy yoke upon you that not even our fathers could bear. Because Torah is about covenant fidelity, the fidelity of Abraham. So Torah is, again, that return to blood-ratified covenant. It's always been entered by faith, and it's a reliance upon the Ruach HaKodesh to teach you. And that's the Torah that reaches and blesses the nations in fulfillment of the Torah mandate of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And that's what the Torah is. You cannot keep Torah without fulfilling the Torah mandate of Genesis 12, verse verse 3, and being a blessing unto the nations. And if the Torah that you're keeping isn't being a blessing unto the nations and bringing those in the nations into the community of faith, then it's just exclusion and it's a rabbinic heresy. And that's the problem. Look at verse 14. But Yahweh forbid that I should boast except in the crucifixion of our master, Yahusha Hamashiach, though whom, through whom, the Olam Hazer, this world is crucified to me, and I am crucified to this world. And that's the climax of the Torah, is the crucifixion of our master Yahushua. Because if you're not relating to the Torah, verse 13, look at it. You're not keeping the faith once delivered to the saints. The Torah that you're relating to has to be centralized around the crucifixion of Messiah. Otherwise, you're not keeping the Torah at all. You see, because that is the climax of everything written in the Torah. And conversely, if you're not relating to Torah, if you're, um, excuse me, relating to Torah the same as Judaism, which doesn't boast in the crucifixion of Messiah, you're not in the faith either, right? Exactly. Meaning we need to be in relationship to Yahusha, and that relationship bears the fruit of covenant Torah. And that is, of course, what Paul communicated in his letter to Timothy, the rightly dividing point of the word of truth. Verse 15. For in the Moshiach Yehusha, neither Brit Milah, circumcision, nor Akrabustia, tossed away foreskins, has strength to save, but only that new creation. A new creation only happens... By Yahusha, and that new creation bears forth the fruit of covenant Torah, the new covenant. This is one of my favorite verses also, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now Yahusha HaMashiach has obtained a greater ministry, for by which he is also the mediator of a more advantageous covenant, and that covenant has been given as Torah based upon more advantageous promises. 
And the key to understanding Hebrews 8, verse 6 is, of course, the preceding chapter, Hebrews 7, verse 11, where this Greek word, nomotheteo, is actually translated correctly in Hebrews 7, verse 11, and then it's willfully, defiantly translated wrong in Hebrews 8, verse 6. But if you translate Hebrews 8, verse 6, the way they translated Hebrews verse 7, verse 11, you find that the new covenant is given as Torah based upon more advantageous promises. Succinctly right there, the new covenant is Torah based upon the promises of Abraham. Right there, there's your book of the covenant Torah, signed, sealed, and delivered. Unquestionable. In the scripture, not my words, his words, their words, tradition. It's scriptural, it's biblical, but you have to translate Hebrews 8, 6 the same way as you would translate the Greek word nomotheteo in Hebrews 7, 11. I mean, it's, you cannot argue that the new covenant is given as Torah based upon the more advantageous promises, of course, given to Abraham. It's amazing. I love this stuff. So we now find that the Torah and the book of the covenant, that wasn't the problem. What was the problem? The people. It's always the people, isn't it? It's always the people. And that, that's what we see. The next, the next verse, in fact, qualifies the them. Who is the them? They're the ones who broke the covenant at the golden calf breach, which in turn brought about that imposed, not agreed to, book of the law, which Messiah has freed us from, enabling us to return to covenant Torah, the book of the covenant Torah, which we know was sprinkled, blood ratified by Yahushua. Look at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 6. And this is the wrap-up, really, isn't it? Very quick to get through this chapter. Only seven, 18 verses. Verse 16. And as many as have their halacha, their walk, according to this mishpat, judgment, shalom, peace be upon them, and the rachamin, the mercy be upon the Israel of Elohim. Let's quickly skip over that verse. We don't want to spend any time on that whatsoever when we're in the institutionalized church, right? Because I'd be like, uh, wh wh what's this Israel of God business? Oh, well, we don't want to talk about that, you know. No, no, I don't know. What is the Israel of God? Now, is, does that mean we're in Israel? Oh, no, no, no. I remember these conversations. Let's go on to verse 17. No, I want to stay on verse 16, please. Can we discuss the Israel of Elohim? I think that's extremely important, especially when we go back to the conception point. Where does this phrase even come from? What is it even talking about? It's talking about a newly constituted people of Yahuwah. That's it. It's the newly constituted people of Yahuwah. So now, scripturally, where was the first time Israel was constituted as a new people to Yahuwah? Where was it? 
It was at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.5 to 24.11. Without fail, it's unarguable that is when Israel became the first newly constituted people of Israel. So contextually now, what is the second time that Israel becomes, as he's addressing here, the newly constituted people of Yahweh? Shalom and Rachamin in context was the first bestowed upon newly constituted people of Yahweh, the Israel as a whole, in Exodus 19, verse 4. And now we find this newly restored constituted people is through that same blood ratification process of Messiah. But where does it connect us back to? Connects us back to the book of the covenant. This is sound biblical hermeneutics. And that is safe. That is meat and potatoes. And I like that kind of scriptural study. Because I can go to the Bible. If the book of the covenant does not appear in Exodus 19.5 to 24.11, then what I am telling you is not true. If the Levitical priesthood appears there instead of the book of the covenant, then what I am telling you is not true. But you will find that this is unarguably solidly set. And he really finishes this with the, his address to the Galatians. Why? And we miss this? I can't tell you how many times. No, 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 Matthew. Let's go on to verse 17. No, this bothered me for a decade in the church. Oh, yes, and you'd want to take me to Romans chapter 9 and the olive tree and, you know, make a nice Christian sermon out of it. But no, this is talking about something more. And when I finally understood it's talking about the first time Israel was constituted as a people to Yahuwah, at the base of Mount Sinai, that now he is talking about that in relationship to Messiah, and it connects back to the book of the covenant. Finally, I'm understanding why he closes the book of the Galatians, his address to Galatians, exactly with this. Because there is no more powerful a conclusion that you should not be keeping the book of the law, but you should be keeping the book of the covenant because you are now, through Messiah's blood ratification, the newly constituted people of Yahweh. Wow. Verse 17. From now on, let no man trouble you. For I bear in my body, as we've already addressed, the marks of the master Yahushua. Israelite brothers, the unmerited favor of our master Yahushua Hamashiach be with your Ruach. And everybody says, Amen. So in conclusion, I have thoroughly enjoyed the investigation of Galatians. And I conclude... That Galatian was composed at the cusp of the law transition point. There were Jews that were not comprehending the Malkitzedic transference. They weren't comprehending Yahushua's blood ratification. They weren't comprehending that they were to return back to the book of the covenant Torah, Hebrews 8 verse 6. They weren't comprehending that. They were holding on to ritualistic proselyte conversion. They were holding on to that as the entrance sign into the book of the law. And they were still 
teaching that book of the law, adherence, and ritualistic proselyte conversion to come into that book of the law community. And that's the only way they would view you as being truly Yahweh's covenant people. But Yahusha changed that. Yahusha and proselyte conversion and the book of the law is not the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is in conflict with what Rab Shaliak Shaul taught to the Galatians because he taught that you needed to be in the book of the covenant community of Melchizedek, that community of faith, the faith of Abraham. So in summation, Galatians, it is not a written law, an oral law dichotomy as the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement would tell you. It is not a grace and law dichotomy as the institutionalized church led us to believe for millennia. It is truly a book of the law, book of the covenant dichotomy. What is for you, the book of the covenant, and what was imposed until the time of reformation, until Messiah could come and accomplish this good work. The book of the law has now been set aside, and the covenant given as Torah is now fully implemented, just as it was at Mount Sinai. It's powerful stuff. Um, questions, comments, anyone at all? Galatians chapter 6, and that wraps up our journey in this fabulous book. And of course, check out the previous teachings for um, the full address of Galatians, all six chapters. Yes, the mic, the mic is over there. We have one question, and that is, um, is it a new covenant or a renewed covenant? It is a new covenant, and that um, it's not a renewed moon either. It's a new moon, and it's a new covenant. You can't renew the covenant. If the covenant's broken, it's broken. You have to make a completely new covenant. Galatians tells you, you cannot add to an already broken covenant. So yes, it's a new covenant, totally new, and that's the beauty of it. New blood, new covenant. New proposal, new acceptance, new blood ratification, and a new covenant-confirming meal brings forth the new covenant, that new book of the covenant that Yahushua's blood brings us into. Yes. And that's it. I believe we have a little noshing and schmoozing today. Sister Andrea blessed us all. So let us close. Oh, yes, Aaron. I've heard uh, people argue before as to whether the new covenant is applicable to us now or, say, after the, like the confirming meal in the, in the, uh, the, new, you know, the coming kingdom. So which, which is it? How can you... Okay, so we had the, the proposal, the acceptance, the blood ratification, and the covenant confirming meal was the last supper. And then when we go into the kingdom, again, there's going to be a proposal, 
a, an acceptance, a blood ratification, and then the covenant-confirming meal, the, marriage, the last marriage supper, supper of the Lamb, as we go into the millennium, the millennial kingdom, or we go into eternity, depending on your view of the millennium, if it's a post- or a pre-millennial return. So there is, yes, more blood ratification and covenant confirming to come in, but the new covenant is now established. I believe we have that and have attained that through Messiah at his Passover, subsequent crucifixion, and then resurrection. Does that make sense? Yes. Anybody else? All right. Yes. It's going to mic you up there. Mike? Um, could we, the fact that each of us also make a covenant with the fact that Yeshua comes to us and says, you're a sinner, proposal, and we accept that, yes, I am a sinner, and then we have his blood, and then we also take a communion of Passover. Could that not also be... Well, that is. That is all part of it. That's the personal ingrafting of the faith. And as we've said in years past, come to the Malkitetic Passover and make that commitment. And we also do that when we go into the waters of mikvah too. Right. So yes, because the mikvah, you're really going into the water and then you're coming up as a new creation, a new birth. And as with birth and travail, there is blood. So yes, okay. yes, exactly. Because this is my temple. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so we've got the, 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 the major framework of what Yahushua accomplished, and then we, within that framework, comes down into the individual, 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 but also, ultimately, it's the people brought together, lots of individuals coming together into that covenant. But he starts with us, does he not? So, Yahweh, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. And most of all, we thank you for your son, the Malkitzedek Kohen Hagadol, Yahusha HaMashiach. Be blessed and shalom. Amen. Amen. All right.